1: Is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in.
0: Welcome back. It's a Friday i Talk. It's Don Nathan Baird, and it's rapid fire. Nathan, I wanted to do this. I think this is a good timing on this because stuff kind of gets real next week. When we come back on our next podcast, it'll be a Market Down Monday. Well, where we will reveal your gathering of the ballots for the Cleveland.com preseason Big Ten poll. And what we'll be marking down on Market Down Monday is like what everybody thinks. This is the poll that everybody will reference around the country. Hey, what did the Big Ten writers predict? It's this poll. You guys listen to this, know this by now. We've been doing it for more than a decade. So that'll be Market Down Monday. And then Tuesday, we're in Indy. Tuesday, Wednesday, we'll be in Indianapolis for Big Ten Media Days. It's in Indy once again, not Chicago. Had been in Chicago before last year for years and years and years. Uh, Michigan headlines on Tuesday, Ohio State headlines on Wednesday. We will be there podcasting from there, writing from there, and really texting from there. Do it for the week. Be a tech subscriber for the week. And then it's a two-week free trial, then bail. Or stick around because the season's starting. This would be a good time to do it, 614-350-3315. Or if you don't do it now, camp's a really good time to do it too. So we're going to do rapid fire, Nathan, because it's like kind of the last sweep of the offseason, because to us, the season starts Tuesday and Wednesday because it's talking to real people about a thing that's about to happen. We're not on the field yet, but we're in the interview room and it's a whole fresh round of stuff. You know, we other than recruiting camps and stuff like that, we haven't had interview sessions or whatever so this is this rapid fire we have 18 different topics to talk about this is it man i hope you had a good summer did you do anything interesting oh that's right you had a baby because football's here
1: no i i didn't really do anything interesting my wife did something very interesting and then i sort of was there and watched and then i've i slept intermittently that was about it that's good (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and uh and 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 fed this kid uh every bottle he could take so
0: the one thing i don't know that we have covered and, and this is probably my last chance to do it um if you could just go into great detail about the birth what'd you see <laughs> what it was like what were the sounds the sights the smells anything it, that you know take us in the
1: room It it is actually kind of a funny story because we did an induction and we you go in like late the night before and <laughs> they I will say the word induction, it sounds like the baby's going back in, not coming out. Or like he's going he to the written, hall of fame. Like we yeah. just, just he went straight to the hall of fame. But when you um, go
0: when you go into a hall of fame, you go into a hall of fame. Right. So yeah, where's the hall of so fame?
1: She she to, was yeah, it's it was at uh back medical your mom. center. Yeah. <laughs> uh she was induced and so they give you the, they get, they start to get you started the night before, you know, you're going to get birth sometime the next day, but you know, labor's happening all night. And then about nine o'clock that morning, they said, you know, this might take still all day. Really. It might be tonight before she gives birth. I go down to Panera, get some breakfast. So I went down and got something. I came back up and they, uh, were due to do just like a, a check on her. Thinking she wasn't very far along, and then when they checked, and she was fully all the way there, like, all right, time to push. And so I had just like barely got back from my getting my my whatever I ate, and he was here like twenty minutes later. Oh wow!
0: I was going to say that would even be the only way that could be a better story is I went downstairs, I got my everything bagel, I came back upstairs,
1: and they handed me my son, and there was a baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that, it wasn't, was a that. Quite, it wasn't quite that crisp, but it was it was a it was a long slog until all of a sudden they were just like all right bang here we go yeah and a little little bit of complications my wife was was awesome there at the end um it's just some 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 tough stuff at the very end but he came out healthy she's healthy and we've had a a, a mostly great uh three months she's at the end today recording this on on thursday night uh monday is going to be her first day back at work she's been on mm. leave an extra month so um and we went toward the daycare where we we're going to be taking him in a, a couple weeks which is probably not going to be an easy day but uh such as life
0: oh i thought thought maybe bennett would start coming to interviews just like hey
1: maybe i can just we've got one of those little slings you can just slide him right into maybe bjorn things yeah
0: ryan day's been there he'd appreciate that yeah all right let's let's dive into football um i like this first question we're going to talk a little bit about notre dame in the big 10 Later on, we have some recruiting questions. Steven's still off this week, so he's not here. But Nathan and I will deal with some of this recruiting stuff. We have an NIL question about when some regulations might come down, what games Kyle McCord might get into as a backup quarterback, an alternate jersey questions. some JT Tumaloa questions, a Emeka Agbuka question, something about Michigan's run game, tight end stuff, and then a really good – it's almost like a prop bet kind of question to get us done, where it's one of those things that's two unrelated things – but it's asking which will be more in this question of over the next three years, what will there be more of for Ohio state national titles or losses to Michigan? And I think it's such a creative, smart question, Nathan, it's completely revealing. It is a local versus national. It is rival in the big 10 versus rival on the national scale. It is everything about Ohio state football perfectly encapsulated in a single question. It's how we will wrap up this podcast uh, three hours and nineteen minutes from now.
1: Actually, I love the last two questions that you have on the list. I don't know if we'll get to them both, but I thought they were just quintessential Buckeye talk, rapid fire questions. Like everybody pay attention. First of all, stick around to the end of the podcast. I think they're just good questions. But also pay attention. Give us questions like this. They're they make for a great podcast.
0: Yeah. And it's it's one of those things where it's a creative thing that really gets to the nut, you know. And it, like I think it's mm-hmm. sometimes sometimes All of us, when we're talking about this team and we're talking about sports, you can end up dancing around a lot of stuff, but sometimes a really smart question requires you to take a stand, and we'll do that at the end of this podcast. We're going to start with this, though. I also really like this one, which is why I picked it for number one. From the 816, in your opinion, does a national championship accelerate or delay a potential Ryan Day jump to the NFL? I think it's a really smart way of looking at this. And I'll start because I I have a definite – angle on this. like I I, I think I have a feel for this and, and I think it would delay because the idea of what it accelerated is, hey, I've done everything I can do at this level. The NFL is next. I've proven that I can win a championship here and now I want a new challenge. I do not think that is what sends Ryan Day to the NFL quickly because I think the challenge of can I be one of the great coaches in college football history would then be be start to become very real to him. I think the thing that would accelerate Ryan day to the NFL is any kind of feeling that because of the changing landscape, because of way things are operating, that he feels like I can't win a national championship that despite my best efforts, I believe in my, Theory of offense. I believe in our ability under my leadership to build a culture, but with the transfer portal, with NIL, with conference realignment that who knows may be good or bad for Ohio State, things all out of his control to some degree, those things are holding him up. Those things are preventing Ohio State from reaching its ultimate goal. I think that accelerates it. So. I'm not saying that's what's going to happen, but I don't think this is a, oh, Ryan Day, he won, he's gone. I think the thing that you would be worried about is, man, we can win the Big Ten. We can beat our rival more often than not, but we can't compete on the national stage with the SEC because there were four guys in the last recruiting cycle that we thought we were going to get that we didn't get because of NIL. That, I think, is what, if you're an Ohio State fan who wants to keep Ryan Day, that's what I would have on my mind, not win and I'm gone. So I think winning a national championship would confirm you can do it, and then he'd want to stay and keep doing it a couple more times while his kids
1: continue to grow up. What do you think, Nathan? So between the two options, my first inclination was actually, I'm not sure it would have any effect, because I think Ryan Day, if he makes that jump to the NFL, it's very much going to be on his terms. I think we've seen other coaches make the jump from college to the NFL. And um, I mean, some of them were handsomely rewarded for it. So they were, it's not like they weren't wanted at that next level, but it felt like a reach felt like they were going to have to make a jump. They had to go when it was their moment, their hot moment. You know what I mean? And Ryan day is going to be, uh, is going to have a hot career potentially. You know what I mean? It's not going to be a moment necessarily, but I'm going to say accelerate to give an answer between the two. Only because of this, if winning a national championship and winning it with a quarterback driven, high powered, um, high soaring offense causes some NFL owner to sort of fall in love with him the way that Shad Khan did with Urban Meyer, for example, where now he's making they're making you an offer that you can't refuse. They're you know laying out the, the a real red carpet like that sort of thing, I think. The chances of that happening increase every time you win a national championship or every time you take a a, a higher step up. So there being some owner out there who just who sees something unique and something that can be replicated at the NFL level that only Ryan Day can do and just feels like there's no one else that can lead his franchise and um, just backs up the truck uh, in addition to all the other things you probably have to line up for him. I think that increases if Ohio State wins a national championship.
0: The offer you can't refuse is smart, right? That like the, the set of circumstances that creates the offer you can't refuse. Because that's the thing you can't account for. Hey, I'm not going anywhere. We love it here. Whatever. What? $19 million a year. What? Like that? Three houses on the lake. What? Like that's the kind of thing that you can't control and that nobody can control and that Ohio state couldn't control. And, and just like with a lot of situations, that's kind of like what we say when there are young players in college who very quickly after a year, maybe of college basketball or after three years of college football, make themselves a first round draft pick, And it's like, it's out of your hands. Like you have to go, you might want to stay, but like you have to go. So if like, as you're saying, if Ryan, if Ryan day has a chance to make double his salary in the NFL, he might have to go. The thing that I think Ohio state, and again, as we maybe because it's the team we cover, but I do honestly think that Ohio state occupies a a bit of a unique place, if not unique, at least rare place in college football, where honestly, the expectation is national title that they're not, There's nothing else I think that actually satisfies someone. It doesn't mean it's a disappointing season when Ohio State doesn't win a national title, but I don't know that there's often that Ohio State beats Michigan, wins the Big Ten, makes the playoff, and then loses in the semifinals and thinks, you know what? No, that was really – let's almost have a parade for that. They still would feel like they fell a step short. There are not that many teams with expectations that are that high who then also – don't have the ability to absolutely go to the wall to do whatever they have to do to win, which again, is like sec code. Now, again, Nick Saban is trying to make sure the donors at Alabama step it up in a way that it, this doesn't decrease Alabama, Alabama's chances of winning, but. And we'll talk a little bit more about NIL later, but like the Ryan day breakfast speech, whatever it was now, six weeks ago where he's making that plea to Ohio state donors he doesn't want Ohio State to get left behind because at Ohio State, you should be the best, but you're not necessarily in this world, 1000% situated in a, will be the best, no matter what situation, mostly because you're not an SEC team. So I think Ryan day does not want to have to come back and have another breakfast a year from now and have to make that same speech after a year of feeling like we, we didn't do what we needed to do because of circumstances. And the result was we weren't as good as we should be. That continue if the, if that, that hasn't happened yet, but if that would happen two or three years in a row, we missed on some recruiting guys because of the new world. We saw the effect on the field. We weren't quite good enough. We lost in the semifinal. We lost in the big 10 championship game we can't hang with the two or three best teams. That's what sends him. That's what sends him to me. Your your scenario is also smart. But I think I think my scenario is the one that would send him the fastest. That would that's what would accelerate it the fastest because even in your scenario, he might go reluctantly 31 million dollars a year. What? I love it here. We're winning here. But like that offer just supersedes everything i think the other thing is sort of like the entire circumstance just leading him to say i'm gonna go
1: yeah i think also as we watch college sports fracture is not the right word but but polarize right as we get closer to that two super conference thing that people think could be coming or even three i just that's it t- it makes it less special i don't Arguably, we're going to see. We'll see. We'll see what perspective we have on this five years down the road. Does it become less special to be one of the great college football coaches when things have split into two and it's the North versus the SEC? And 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 especially if, like you're saying, you feel like you are at a disadvantage being in the North instead of the SEC. I I don't know. Well, we'll you already say, are. You right. already are. Right. But you still if, at if your best grows, overcome it. Right.
0: So I th- and I think the thing, again, the thing when, when, when I sat with Ryan Day in his office, when was it? I guess it was right before the 2019 season. And he was talking about you spend all these long hours, you're away from your family, and you want it to be worth it. You want it to feel like it means something, right? And so that does relate to, hey, we're shaping young men, all those kind of things that are real to a lot of these coaches. But the idea of we're competing with something, we're competing at the highest level. I'm going to stay at the office till 1am, but we have an actual chance to win a national championship this year. I'm going to miss something with my kids because we have an actual chance to win a national championship. That was very real to him. And if that slips where you're at the office and you're like, no matter how good we are, no matter how much work I do, no, no matter how smart I am, no matter how hard my assistants work, no matter how hard our players work, I don't think we can do it because of things out of our control, because of context out of our control. And it's not like, I hate the transfer portal. I hate NIL. I'm out of here. It's do those things create an environment where a school like Ohio state that previously thought it absolutely pretty much had a chance to win every year, no longer feels that way. That's what would do it. That's different from being like, ah, transfer portal. That's just the world changed and it's not as enticing to me.
1: Yeah, and it breaks the premise of what I was saying before. Then you do become someone who feels like they have to grab their hot moment whenever yeah. it comes. The next time they even just make the championship game or whatever, that's when you have to jump.
0: I do think there's, there's a lot of that intrinsic stuff. And again, there's a lot of coaches out there who are trying to go seven and five and they find great value in that. But like nobody at Ohio State's ever going to find great value in seven and five. So it's just different. It's just, again, there's not a lot of places like Ohio State who have the expectations, but maybe not all the time, 1,000%. Of the things around it, although most of the things around it, but maybe not at all. All right, recruiting from the 614, maybe more of a Stephen recruiting question, but we'll tackle it without him. With Tackett Curtis, the linebacker from Louisiana, committing to USC and no other top 300 linebackers likely to be in this class. The one concern about Jim Knowles was his recruiting. Is this the first sign of that? I know it's year one and he's recruiting to a defense that only plays two linebackers and they signed two studs last year, but this is OSU and no impact linebacker commits while trying to rebuild your defense. Doesn't seem great. I'm not trying to overreact, but I also don't want to give the new guy a pass when he's making 2 million per year to fix the defense from the 614. I think that was well stated by the 614. It's like, it's okay to hedge both ways. Like, I don't want to overreact. I get it. Ohio state still has a great recruiting class, but also like he's making $2 million a year. And like, I don't want to just, so I think it's a really smart question. Similar from the nine, seven, three with the Tackett Curtis linebacker loss. Do you think this is just, um, Knowles kind of getting in late for the 23 class and that this gets corrected to the 24 class, or will this be a problem down the road? Ohio state used to be known for having top level level linebackers. So it's, I knew we'd get some, didn't you know, Nathan, we knew we were going to get some Jim Knowles linebacker recruiting questions here. The one thing I'll tackle at the end and then I'll let you go is they used to be known for having great linebackers, but now they're known for having great defensive ends. So like that, they don't have to be known for having great linebackers. That's And and the game has changed and where would you rather be great? You'd rather be great at defensive end and corner. And that's where they're great. Back when the big 10 was three yards in a cloud of dust, you really kind of needed to have a Chris Spielman or a Pepper Johnson or a Randy Gratishar or a James Laurinaitis or an AJ Hawk. It's, the world has changed, so you have to take that into account. And I think all of our listeners do. We understand that. If you were going to line up, hey, where do you want to land five star recruits on defense? Edge rusher one, cornerback two, maybe vice versa, and then everything else falls into place. And I'm not so sure you wouldn't take a defensive tackle or safety. You'd have a linebacker too. So. No. I would argue it's the least important position on the defense when it comes to that. But, Nathan, what the Texters are saying is true. And if he got Tackett Curtis and he was down in Louisiana and they were naming sandwiches after him at the local sandwich shop, he spent a lot of time on this kid. He was down to Wisconsin, Ohio State, and USC. I saw a Wisconsin writer say that the the defensive coach who was recruiting Tackett Curtis for Wisconsin, it's the most time he ever spent on a recruit in his life. And he also didn't get him. What do we make of it?
1: I think it's you know an astute question, especially because we need to remember. You know, as much as we talk about Knowles being a schemer and all that stuff, he wasn't brought here to be an analyst. He was brought here to be the defensive coordinator and the linebackers coach, and that means you do have to go recruit your position. They don't necessarily have just extra guys floating around who are full assistants who get to recruit. True, yeah. and, and well, okay, but they could. I'll let you continue your point. But they absolutely have a guy floating around. Go ahead. But I'm saying, that that are full assistants that are, are doing that. Like you, I know. And
0: I'm saying, if they wanted to make the oh, Parker Fleming position, Parker Fleming, yes, okay, yes. Well, coach, I was
1: actually about to make that point. Yes, yeah. I was about to make that point. Yeah, that they could they could have done that. They or they they could do because I don't know what input, if any, Parker Fleming has in. Recruiting right now, other than I guess specialists. So that's you know as much as you think it might help Ohio State to have a full time special teams coach, you're taking away a full time um, position um, recruiter. But anyway, um, I don't know that I'm I'm calling this a disaster because like you're saying, Tackett Curtis the w- the Wisconsin relationship was there. Knowles had a relationship with him prior to even coming to Ohio State. Um, but listen, it's it's USC. USC is always. We have talked about how much of a sleeping giant they are. They are always going to be. Anytime you're going head to head with them, I don't know. Don't they seem like one of those programs that, regardless of geography, if you think your team is rooting is recruiting up against USC, you've got some concerns, especially now with what they've put in place there. Uh, so, or, or, you know, the head coach that they have there now and the reputation he has. So, I'm not calling this saying that you can you can expect disaster based on this one thing failing, but I, I agree with the premise, too, that as much as I think linebacker, um, I, I think I would agree that it is the least important position in the defense. I think it also cost them last year. Like being no, so bad at linebacker across the board. So you got to – there's got to be somewhere in the middle that we you can meet on that, right? That, no, you don't need uh, the linebacker version of Chase Young necessarily. But you've got to have guys back there who are getting the job done at a Big Ten level.
0: Oh, no doubt about it. And, and we're, everybody is very excited to see what C.J. Hicks does as a linebacker at Ohio State, as a five-star linebacker who will be a freshman this year. I would say, though, if you told me that Ohio State, Wisconsin, and USC were recruiting a linebacker from Louisiana, who should win? Like, with just maybe not even getting into the specifics, who should win? I would say Ohio State. I wouldn't say probably, USC, yeah. so, but I'd probably put USC second there still because well, it was constant because Wisconsin is not a national program, right? But I, I don't know that USC should go into Louisiana. And again, I don't, I certainly am not an expert on that recruitment. I'm not exactly sure why he didn't have a bunch of other sec schools who were right there with USC and Ohio, uh, Ohio state for a guy in Louisiana. But, um, this, one of those things once it's, if you lose to the home state, if you lose to driving distance, if you lose to mom and dad want to be able to drive to see me play, I don't even – not that I don't count it, but that's a different thing. They lost to a school that he's going farther away to go to yeah. USC. than he would have gone to Ohio State. Now, I don't know what the NIL situation is. And if they are going to stack up, and then they had the other guy who went to Georgia, and I can't remember his name, the other linebacker recruit that they were kind of in uh, on. Troy Bowls, Who didn't pick them. So that's right. I mean, he's a, was he a kid in the South who picked Georgia? That's a yeah. little less of a, it's like, yeah. well, what are you going to do? Um, so I will say, and you were right on this, but I thought maybe when Jim Knowles got here, he would not coach a position just like Greg Schiano. I guess the last year didn't coach a position. Once they got the 10th guy, Greg Schiano was just the coordinator. Parker Fleming is floating around. They have a corners coach. They have a safeties coach. They have a defensive line coach. They have a linebackers coach. And then the fifth guy on defense is not on defense. He's a special teams coach. You could decide that we're going to go get the entered. And I don't, again, it's not ageist. It's just recruiting ability. I don't care if the guy's 70. We're going to go get this awesome recruiter who's a linebackers coach at East Carolina and like, sorry, Parker Fleming, but someone else is going to have to teach the holders how to hold. Jim Knowles is going to scheme and oversee and be the closer, but someone else is going to be in charge of go land a five star linebacker. I don't think that's impossible. Like, if you, if, if at some point you're not happy here, and I would say again, CJ Hicks counts, you don't discount the guy just because he's from Ohio, but Al Washington never really lit. Cody Simon was good too, he's a top 100 guy from New Jersey. But there was Jericho. some other also an Ohio kid, but like there was the kid, the Sean Murphy kid, right from Virginia, yeah, yeah. You thought they might get, they lost to Son McCullough. You sort of were, you yeah. waited for Al Washington to sort of get his signature. That kid probably shouldn't be here, but you got him moment. Mm. And it kind of never happened. And I don't know how long you wait, that, that you don't demand that of Jim Knowles in his first full recruiting class. But I don't think you can be having this conversation three years from now. You know, if it doesn't happen in the next cycle, then you might have to go get a linebacker's coach and, and have Jim Knowles just oversee. So I don't I'm not saying it's a failure. I'm not saying it's the end of the world, but we would be talking about it. Uh, ha, ha, ha hot, if it had happened. So we have to acknowledge it when it did. And this one felt like for a long time that Ohio State was going to make it happen
1: two points. One is sort of just a half formed thought that I had in this whole process, but is it awkward that the defensive coordinator is the linebackers coach who is trumpeting his safety driven defense? Like, is there a disconnect there? I don't know that could happen in recruiting. I I may be thinking too much of that. I think he's just being honest about what he wants the defense to be. And I think you could also probably make a case to linebackers like, Hey, and another defense where maybe you would have to, be put in uncomfortable positions sometimes in coverage we're taking some of that away you get to be more of a run stopper and and do natural linebacker things and we've got other guys to to do the pass. Per- so the pass coverage so maybe i'm think- overthinking that it was just sort of a half uh, a half form thought that i was throwing out there but the other thing you're talking about here where they're getting the in-state guys even the highly ranked ones and keep coming up short i mean the same thing is also happening at safety it, you know, Caleb Downs, we're recording this on Thursday. Caleb Downs announced he's going to commit next Wednesday. The recruitment seems to have been trending towards Alabama in recent weeks. When you put that with Xavier Nwankpa, you put that with Zion Branch. I mean, yes, they got Sonny Stiles last year, another guy with obvious local connections, but the national guys, they keep coming up, runner up on, and that's two positions. So when it's happening out at, at two different levels of your defense kind of repeatedly, and you need to get those upper echelon guys to compete at the level Ohio state wants to compete at there's got to be a breakthrough at some point you've got you do at some point have to go out and win one of those those farther field battles and they're getting other guys that i think are quality guys at the position but w- there's a reason we talk about guys who are ranked number 12 in the country different than guys who rank number 212 because we talk about them a whole lot more for the next five years too
0: i will say if you guys want to follow this a little bit it's on Twitter. So I'm not like giving away any secrets. Uh, Jim Knowles' sister is on Twitter and she is an interesting follow because she is a very loyal sister. Her name is Paula Knowles Miller. If you type that in, you'll find her. That's not her Twitter name, but you can search her for that. And so she was replying to some people who were offering any criticisms of Jim Knowles, not landing some of these, um, she said, like, I need to not let the haters bother me. Easier said than done. And, but she also tweets uh, vacation photos of Jim Knowles, which are kind of <laughs> nice and funny. There's like a, you know, a picture of like Jim Knowles in a golf cart. Um, there's Jim Knowles at the beach. Um, it's If you want to get a little taste of uh, life with Jim Knowles, and also invested family members are, as we learned from the Meyer family are interesting follows on Twitter. Sometimes you gain little insight because sometimes people say things to their families and then their families say things on Twitter and the person thinks, well, I don't know if you should have said that on Twitter, but then we learned it. So um, she's an interesting person who loves her brother and supports her brother, but she was not a huge fan of any Twitter criticism uh, of them not getting tack at Curtis. Another recruit question from the 614. The more I think about it, I don't think missing out on a top three running back this cycle is that big of a deal. I know guys can get injured and things happen, but if we land a trivia on Henderson every other year, we'll be just fine. Keep stacking the receivers and quarterbacks, and this offense will be dominant as long as Ryan Day is here. Uh, I agree with that. So the, the issue, though, is that it's not every other year because you didn't have one in last year's class. And now you don't have one in 2023. And so it's going to be every third year. But I think even that's okay. But you are going to have to sell the guy in the class of 2024, the same way you sold Travion Henderson, which is you have a chance to come in and start as a freshman. Now, that doesn't, maybe Dallin Hayden, who's going to be a true freshman this year, will be awesome. Maybe Mark Fletcher, who's the running back in this 23 class that a lot of people really like, he's just not rated as high. Maybe he'll be awesome. It's not taking anything away from those guys, but recruiting ratings. I mean, we're going to go by recruiting ratings a little bit. So it's not every other year. You definitely don't need it every year. And I think it's hard to do every year. And by the way, Evan Pryor being around, as we've talked about a million times, Tony Alford sort of after the class that didn't go great, doubled down. He didn't just get Trevor Henderson. He also got Evan Pryor. So I'm not, I, don't, I wouldn't say that anybody should be worried, Nathan, about the running back room. But again, this puts a little juice on 24, the class of 24 at running back, unless Mark Fletcher comes in and it's like, oh, my God, Mark Fletcher, this guy should have been a top 25 national recruit, which might happen.
1: It puts a lot of juice on 2024. Stephen and I have talked about this a lot on the recruiting pods, and I started talking about it. Um, back when it looked like Richard Young might still be a thing for Ohio State because I thought it was a lot of people were putting a lot of hope in an uncertain situation there. And the 2023 running back room should still be pretty full. But 2024, if you project it out right now, would be maybe Evan Pryor is still around as a redshirt junior. I would guess he will be, I think he will be, but, 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 but even that's, you know, you got to keep open to the op- possibility Dallin Hayden as a junior or redshirt sophomore, whatever third year player. And then Mark Fletcher as a second year player right now, that's it. And, and you know, Dallin Hayden, was a you know barely a top 300 prospect, and again, I'm not saying that those guys can't be solid players, but there's a reason we talk about Trevion Henderson in a way that we don't talk about Mayan Williams, and we didn't talk about Master T. Like there's a separation, and you have been, and, and Stephen, but you uh, have been even more forceful than me in saying that Ohio State needs special talents like that at running mm-hmm. back in order to win, and we're you're looking ahead a couple years and seeing. A, a I don't want to call it a crisis but something would have to help augment that room because even Evan Pryor was not talked about the same way as a recruit as, as the Trevion Hendersons of the world so where it backs you into a corner then is if you, if it is once every three years or whatever well then if in that third year you have to hope that there's a guy who is that impact who you can go get and is ready so- to play right away right and is ready to play, right? So let's say there's only two top 50 running backs that year. And one of them is from um, Los Angeles, California right now. And one of them is from Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Like, what I'm sorry, man. Like you're, they're in trouble. So that's the other thing. I and I don't know enough about the 2024 class. Steven could probably talk about that more, but I'm just saying that that's where I think you, you don't want to keep backing yourself into a corner. I agree with that.
0: So a, a couple points. It's hard because, okay, it's like you get a guy like Travion Henderson in 2021, and you got another top 100 player running back in Evan Pryor. It makes it really hard to get a five-star in 2022. So that's almost impossible, I would say. Uh, Yes, yes. So then you go to 2023, and then it's like, you never know how recruiting is going to go. You do your best. Tony Alford appeared to develop relationships with Richard Young and Justice Haynes and some of these guys, Mm -hmm. and they just went somewhere else. And then all of a sudden, it's like, oh, my God, now what? That it, it, you go from everything's fine to holy moly, the pressure is on with one class, right? Because like 22, you didn't expect it, 23, and then it doesn't happen, and now it's all on 24. So that can be tough. The thing that we have to keep in mind is Alabama's starting running back this year when Alabama's going to open the season at number one, and Nick Saban is the greatest college football coach of all time. It's a transfer from Georgia Tech. And he's going to be their starting running back and like three of their five best receivers are transfers. And this is Alabama. The the greatest recruiting juggernaut we've ever seen. And they went and got Georgia techs running back because they weren't so sure about the dudes they had. So in the transfer portal world, it doesn't excuse stuff. It does reduce the urge as opposed to in the past when there were no solutions like that sitting around. But it's also a reminder, even Bama. I can't. I mean, if we, honestly, if we covered Bama and we were like, like four of their six best skill guys are transfers? Like what's going on here? What's wrong here? That's Bama, the greatest recruiting juggernaut anybody's ever seen. So it doesn't mean that this doesn't hurt a little bit, but you've got to keep it in context. But the other thing that I was relieved about a little bit The Richard Young, that ship had sailed. This is spurred by Justice Haynes, whose dad played at Georgia, and then who visited Florida and was interested there and visited Ohio State and was interested there, picked Alabama. That, I I think a month ago, I'm not so sure anybody thought Dama was on the radar for him there. So, but the other thing is, I had started following his dad after Richard Young kind of went off the radar. I started following his dad on Twitter. And his dad is very involved with like either crypto or NFTs or something where there's a lot of like grumpy looking cartoon animals that are the mascots. And there's all kinds of things being tweeted with weird symbols that I didn't understand. And so I was glad when Justice Haynes committed that I could unfollow his dad because it turned out his dad did not recruit, did not tweet very much about his son's recruitment, but he tweeted about the crypto market of the grumpy animal crypto chain (laughs) like every day and every day I would be like, why am I looking at this? So that was a relief for me personally.
1: Fair enough. Uh, what I think is, is interesting about that was that my pushback on, on the Richard Young thing all along had been, I just didn't, I, I wasn't buying the whole, well, you can come in to be an understudy to Trevian Henderson for a year. Like that wasn't really anything that, it wasn't what Trevian Henderson was sold in the first place. And this idea that it was going to work with Richard Young, I thought was was nonsense. And so that does make it a surprise, though, that then you get two players of that caliber committing at the same time. Because that was really was what they sold Evan Pryor on a little bit more, was that, yeah, you're going to be the second guy behind Henderson, but you'll just rise up and, and, and take over someday eventually. But to get, getting two guys of that caliber in the same class is impressive.
0: All right, last recruiting question before we take a break. From the 517, is it concerning that Ohio State is again looking great? On skill position players, offensive skill and defensive backfield, but again, is recruiting the trenches poorly? Or will this problem be fixed in future recruiting cycles, given the new hires of Justin Fry and Jim Knowles? I'm also realizing I have like a sore throat and a cough, and I'm trying not to cough through the whole thing. So I do have a cough drop in my mouth. Maybe that's why people think I'm eating. I'm not eating. I try to keep the cough drop out, but I have to let it soothe. You have to let the soothing juices, I don't know. What is it, eucalyptus? I don't know. It, but it, like you know you know how cough drop feels you got to let it glide down your throat so I'll try to keep them out of my mouth while I'm talking I apologize I'm very cognizant I don't I'm not eating I'm not eating I think this is mostly an offensive line question I mean the trenches linebackers aren't I mean unless you mean linebackers but like they're good at defensive end they got some more defensive ends coming they just got a top 50 national player at defensive end right we don't really mean that so I guess to me, it's mostly an offensive line question, but does it feel like a concern to you, Nathan, that it sort of continues to be maybe that the recruiting is top heavy with skill guys?
1: Yeah, again, listen, it, I don't know how to judge these guys on 2023. I feel like a lot of relationships are already established, and some of those recruitments are pretty far along by the time they're making these hires in January, right? I, so, oh, a thousand percent. So, I don't know how much to. Put on those guys for who they do or don't get for 2023. The Knowles one with Curtis seemed like a little bit more just because he had had a prior relationship with him, but whatever, um, you're changing schools, whatever. So I'm look. I think all those guys though are on a little bit of notice going forward because to some extent they have their jobs because the recruiting wasn't good enough at those positions. So you have to correct that. You have to come in and not just coach guys up, but you have to get better talent to Ohio State at those positions. As we've
0: covered, they got the three best offensive linemen in Ohio, and if they didn't, we'd be going nuts. So Justin Fry did lock those guys down. So that matters, right? Montgomery, Padilla, and Saraveld. So that really, really matters. And then the out-of-state guy is like a guy from Connecticut who four months ago was trying to figure out if he was going to go to Albany or Dartmouth, and then he exploded. So he winds up at Ohio State, and is that ideal? No, it's not ideal, but maybe he's a diamond in the rough guy. Again, I would rather have that guy than some guy who's been ranked in the 400s his whole life and is probably just not quite good enough. This is the Dewan Jones kind of scrambling for a diamond. And so I get it, and I'm in favor of that. I'm in favor of that. I'm not in favor of that instead of a five-star tackle, but I'm in favor of taking a shot at that every couple of classes. So maybe Miles Walker will work out great, but this Olas Allen kid who's a guy that they had one of the main guys on their radar, right? He's going to commit next week. I think, I think he has a commitment date set in the twenties. I don't know if there feels like there's momentum to Alabama with him. Maybe, maybe that always was the case. So I do think the general question of, do you have to give a coach a break in year one is yes. In recruiting, because you've got, you establish relationships when these guys are, freshmen and sophomores and juniors. If you're coming in like right at the, in the midst of their junior year, when they're getting ready to decide, or in the midst of their senior year, you just, you can't catch up. So I think we can gain, I think we can learn almost nothing from Justin Fry based on this class, other than he didn't lose any of the Ohio kids they wanted. And that's a good place to start because if they had only gotten one of the three Ohio guys, we'd be going bonkers. Oh my, he can't even keep these guys in state and they got them. So that's a good starting point. And now we're on Justin Fry alert. Let's see Justin Fry go get a five-star tackle. Who's not from the Midwest. Let's see it happen in the class of 2024. Uh, again, if lined up, what do you want to see in the class of 2024? I think we just covered, you want to see a five-star running back. You want to see a five-star tackle. I, I, that's where I'd start. Right, Nathan?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the tackle is just, they, they just so desperately need to kind of alter the, the, what do you want to say just the narrative at, at tackle, I think um, they, and, and it's some other positions too on defense, but, but definitely at, at, at tackle. And I think I'm not even that concerned that if it comes from somewhere else in the Midwest, but I, it can't just be. You're right. It can't just be the developmental Ohio kid. So if you have to go get um, a, a kid out of Chicago, you've got to go get a you know battle in Pennsylvania, yeah. like they've yeah. done successfully in sure. recent years, or you know Michigan, like you know go cross state lines and get elite guys. And it's it, it needs to happen more at that position. But really, wherever the kid comes from, my God, they need a tackle. Just 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 sign a tackle, man.
0: <laughs> and again, it's one of those things. I think people know this. This is what Ryan Day is saying. This is what Ryan Day is saying to his assistants. This is what Ryan Day is saying to Tony Alford. You know what Ryan Day said to Tony Alford after they missed on everybody in the class of 2020 at running back? The message was along the lines of that's not good enough. And then guess what? Tony Alford knocked it out of the park in the class of 2021. Tony Alford knew it wasn't good enough and he did something about it. So, you know, it's one of those things, again, I'm not, I'm not saying they I, I think she has she a really interesting follow. It's just, it's, it's really, it's, I, not everybody has that great a relationship when you're in your fifties with your siblings, but you know, that Paula Knowles-Miller is, is upset of criticism of her brother. You know, who probably thinks the linebacker recruiting needs to go better? Her brother and Ryan day, is this good enough? No, it's not. It's not doesn't mean you're terrible at it. it. doesn't mean you deserve to be fired. It doesn't mean we're going to freak out, but we're all establishing that like it needs to be better next year. Right. We all know this, right. We understand why it didn't happen this year would have been great if it did, but it's not good enough. This is Ohio state. So that's all we're saying.
1: And I think I I do think Justin Fry um, had to like make some quick inroads with Carson Hensman last year to get right before he signed. Wasn't he a late signee in, in February yeah I'm thinking i don't know that that, right. i can't remember but so i think you know he 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 did we need to do there so again i just i wanted these guys to get a full cycle yep before i really judge them all right quick break
0: that was a lot i mean to get to all 18 topics there's some good topics you guys are throwing at us we're going to get into something real quick next and then notre dame and the big 10 after this on buckeye talk all right this is a good question for our resident ap voter you haven't given it up yet nathan have you Nope.
1: My vote, my ballot's due. I don't remember. Sometime. Sometime in August.
0: It was not a situation of either baby or vote. Not both. Right? It's like, hey, I can be an AP voter for as long as I don't have a baby. (laughs) That you can handle both in your life. I I really like this. Because again, it doesn't really matter, but it does matter. And it's interesting to think about from the 601. Will Ohio State be number one in week two? Meaning after a win over Notre Dame. And stay that way for most of the season if they open the season with a blowout or comfortable win versus Notre Dame, who will most likely be a top 10 team, if not a top five team. Your ballot is due when for the AP preseason poll, Nathan? I I, I don't remember off the top of my head, but it's early. I think it might be August 1st. I think it comes out August 15th. So they usually won it a couple weeks ahead. I don't know why. They should need it 10 minutes ahead. It's all robots. They have all these. You should see it. You go to AP headquarters. There's robots everywhere. Just counting ballots. So where do you think Ohio state will be in the preseason poll?
1: I think Ohio state will be. Number two, but it might be close to Georgia for two.
0: There's a lot. There's still some people who
1: I think are like, well, i got to beat the champs to be the champs. It's like, you mean how rosters completely change every year? So they may be they may be a close three, actually, but I also think that the Stroud, Smith, and Jigba, I think that's gonna get them some push.
0: I do think Ohio State, Notre Dame will be the matchup of the highest ranked teams in week one. Yes. There's Georgia, Oregon, but but Oregon won't Oregon will be like 16th or something. So I do think Notre Dame will be top 10. If I had to guess, it'll be like two versus seven, maybe. So the question is. If they beat Notre Dame, I could see them ascending to number one. I could after beating Notre Dame. But I wonder how much people will put into Alabama, Texas in week two, because I think Texas will be ranked and that's going to be a road game for Alabama. So if you're the kind of voter who really leans all results, leans on results, if Ohio state, as the texture said, does sort of comfortably beat Notre Dame wins by 21 or 28 or something against the top 10 team, that'll be the best win in the country and rewarding the best win in the country by making that team. Number one, that could happen. But if Bama goes and blows the doors off a ranked Texas team in Austin in week two, and Bama was the clear number one team in the preseason, I think Bama might take it right back.
1: Well, I think also, even if you are a resume voter, which I think I've become a very resume voter over the course of my career. I know that you were a very resume voter. That's it's one week is a tough resume sometimes to vote on. One week after to change your mind on, you know what I mean? Because if you go into a season, if there's a lot of voters who go into the season thinking, Hey, Alabama has the best coach and it has the best offensive player in the country and the best defensive player in the country. So Alabama's the best team. That's a that's a that's that's a very logical argument to make. And if they go out and just massacre Utah State, which they will, they're gonna massacre Utah State probably, then no matter what Ohio State does against Notre Dame, even for people who say, well, actually now Ohio State has the best win in the country, I don't know that's enough to flip that opinion, even going into that second week poll.
0: I would definitely do it. I would 1,000% I would do it. I voted Houston number two because they had a good week one win one time. And Kevin Sumlin was like, why did someone vote us number two? And I was like, because of your one week resume. So, but I think all you're down right. For Kevin Sumlin from know, there, actually. Peak of his career. I bet you it's in his bio. Was ranked number two in the country <laughs> by one voter in the AP poll in 2009. So um, I think you're right. I think it would narrow the gap That if it's a world where if whatever, there's 62 voters or whatever it is in the AP, Bama is probably going to get like 55 number one votes in the preseason. And if Ohio State really handles Notre Dame, it might be really close, but it still might be like Bama has like 32 number one votes and Ohio State has 20 or something or has 30 or something. Or it's like 37 to 25 in, in week two and they
1: don't quite get over the top. I mean, there's sixty some voters. If Alabama is in like the mid to high fifties on number one votes in the opening poll, and then they go out and still just boat race Utah State, I, I think they probably will still just stay number one. Yeah, I'm not they saying should. I. I think they I should. along yeah along lines of what you're saying, especially if it's a very convincing win for Ohio State, which we're supposing facts not in evidence yet. But if it were to be a very like like the texter suggests, like a convincing win then I think I probably like you would also vote Ohio state number one at that point.
0: All right, let's dig into Notre Dame. This is Matt and Piqua. Do you think Notre Dame will get the 75 million they are looking are, are asking for, or will they end up in the big 10? Uh, that's the, a reference to reports that Notre Dame, it wants a $75 million a year TV deal to remain independent And there were a lot of reports of NBC was maybe trying to add a big 12 package to be a Notre Dame lead in. And they were trying to work that out. That's where that $75 million uh, number comes from, from the 570 predictions on specific dates in time that Notre Dame joins the big 10. That's from our guy, Luke in Denver. And then one more from the 713, what odds would you give to Notre Dame joining the big 10 within four years? Same question for Washington and Oregon. So let's deal with Notre Dame first, Nathan. What is your vibe on where and what
1: you think about Notre Dame to the Big Ten at the moment? I don't have a great vibe about it. I know that I asked a question along with the Big Ten poll that we did this year. And again, we'll reveal those four results on Monday. um, But I asked a question of all all the respondents saying, what do you think the Big Ten should do? And like 75% of them so far are coming back saying they think it would involve Notre Dame either expanding to 18 teams. So Notre Dame and one other team expanding to 20, Notre Dame and three other teams, like some of the options that were there. So I guess there, there seemed to be in the immediate, in the immediate aftermath of USC and UCLA, there seemed to be this immediate knee-jerk reaction that, well, Notre Dame's hand is forced now. Like they they have to go to a conference. And th- I doesn't feel like Notre Dame feels like that's true. I think they still feel some, some.
0: They're sure checking out their options more than they would be if, if UCLA and USC had not gone to the big 10.
1: Yes. Uh, may, yeah. I guess that's probably true. And that's the other thing that I'm not a hundred percent sure about. I mean, I know that there's all those, obviously there's a lot of speculation about the, the various things that they have looked into. I mean, are they better off staying at independent? Because as I said before on the pod, Uh, The reporting of Lane Higgins from the Wall Street Journal that I cited where, you know, they they don't get that much from NBC and they don't really get anything from from the ACC other than the year that they were a full member. Because like even the year that you combine those revenues, it it was less than what Big Ten. It's less than what Rutgers gets for being in the Big Ten. Right. So do you
0: have I, 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 I think Notre Dame joins the Big Ten in 2024 with USC and UCLA. I do not – I think that that's when USC and UCLA are joining. I do not think it will be a two-team joining the Big Ten. I think things will happen over the next day to year <laughs> that it will be more than that. And I also think if Notre Dame comes, they're not coming alone. And I also think that that cracks the door on – well, they can't. The team had 11 – Lee had 11 teams for like 20 years. They can do whatever they want. But yeah, I know I- what you're saying so um i think this is the time for it i think the big 10 will lay out the red carpet i think the things that gene smith said about how ohio state wants someone else to help carry the load and having usc i think having another big name like that in there makes it more enticing because it's not just like oh now we've got to go with ohio state and how are we going to do it's like there's no there's a bunch of big boys here it's all good um I don't think they're going to get the the kind of TV deal on their own. And the thing you have to remember about the TV deal, right? When you're in a conference and you're playing a conference game, your conference TV deal, that TV network gets all of you. Because they get all of your conference games, and then they get all of your home non-conference games. When Notre Dame's not in a conference, the NBC deal, you know what the game? Notre Dame's playing Ohio State this year. It's not on NBC. They get half. You're immediately halved. When Notre Dame plays USC, they don't get get USC, Notre Dame both years. You get it one of the years. So when Notre Dame comes into a conference, now you're getting all of Notre Dame. They'll still play a couple of non-conference, but you're you're going from getting 50% of Notre Dame. They play more than half. They play seven home games a year. You're going from getting... 60% 60% of Notre Dame to get in like 85% of Notre Dame. So I just think this is the time. I think it'll work. I think it'll be Oregon and Washington will then come with them. Then I think also that you're looking for one more team, maybe it's Stanford. People have floated that idea. They have a rivalry with both USC and Stanford. I mean, I just, so my timeline yes. is, it happens before USC and UCLA get here. And when the big 10 expands, it's never a 16 team league. It goes straight to 20. So then don't
1: you think that it has to happen pretty soon then? Because but I'm just saying, like,
0: when do they join? They have to announce oh, oh join, yeah, join twenty. But they don't I mean, well, like it's a TV negotiation and all this stuff, but their situation is much less complicated than someone trying to get out of a conference with grant of rights deals and all that stuff. No, so I understand.
1: They- but if you're the big 10 and you're negotiating for a rights deal that's going to be several years into the future, don't you want to negotiate the rights deal with Notre Dame in it, which is a very valuable Commodity unto but itself. I mean, they, That's what they, I'm saying. So they said
0: they were going to have it in May and then USC and UCLA happened. They're not going anywhere. So, like, when are they going to join though? I'm saying they're going to join in 2024. And that, but I don't think it has to happen tomorrow. Can it wait a full year? Will we be doing the Notre Dame dance with the Big Ten a year from now and have it be realistic? I get your point. Yeah. It probably maybe has to go a little quicker than that, but I don't think it has to go tomorrow. But it might happen like in the middle of this college football season. Do you? Yep. Do you agree with that? So I'm laying it down. I'm marking it down. Notre Dame joins the Big Ten in 2024, along with Oregon, Washington, and Stanford. Do you, will you, do you want to mark down something in regards to Notre Dame and the Big Ten?
1: Uh, I, I guess I would say not 2024. I guess I would say only because I think they have contractual obligations that would make that difficult. So it would have to be whenever. I think there's their deal ends after 2025. I would just say whenever their NBC deal ends they'll be in the big 10. Yes. Okay.
0: This is another Notre Dame related question. Kind of another good either, or from the six, one, four Notre Dame or Michigan, which game do you expect to be more interesting and cost more to get into this season? Um, Chris, not Beanie Wells from the six, one, four. I think I will say I'm doing this breakdown and I'm way behind on writing the stories. I've been doing the podcast, like what percent chance does Ohio state have to lose different games? I gave Ohio state the greatest chance to lose against Notre Dame and 1% less against Michigan. And those were the two games that I think if I'm, if I'm listing which games are Ohio state most likely to lose, those are the two first game and last game. But I do think, um, like Marcus Freeman is really interesting and all that people love the Ohio state Notre Dame rivalry. The fact that Ohio state lost to Michigan this year, it is going to be a rabid group of Ohio state fans in Ohio stadium. And I think people want to be there for the revenge. So it will cost more. It will be more interesting. I think it has a chance to be the most. And I, and I know like the two th- the 2016 game on the, you know, the fourth down, did he make it or not? That was super interesting. There've been some really good games, but I think it will be the most interesting Ohio State-Michigan game since the one versus two matchup in 2006 because it's in Ohio Stadium and the Buckeyes are out for revenge. So I, I my answer to everything is, It will it be a tougher game? I, I don't have a great answer to that. I think it's almost a coin flip, whether Notre Dame or Michigan's a tougher game, but pricier and more interesting Michigan.
1: What do you say? I think Michigan also, I think you got to also throw in the fact that there's a decent chance and I'm not predicting it, but like a decent chance Michigan would be 11 and no for that game. I mean, they're not conference schedules. Not great. They, you know, it depends on how good teams like Penn State and Michigan State are yep. this year. Possible. It's, it's 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 possible. It's on the table. They've got some good football players. So if that were to happen, if it's 11-0 Michigan against 11-0 Ohio State, one year after Michigan beat Ohio State to break the streak, to go to the playoff, to etc. etc. and Jim Harbaugh has said what he said, and now there's probably been some other jibber-jabber that happens in the next few months behind the scenes by somebody that leaks out. I mean, it's going to build. So I, I think it is Michigan. I, Notre Dame would be good, too, but Michigan is the pick.
0: All right, let's do a backup quarterback question from three, two, one. Will the Buckeyes try to have their backup quarterback play meaningful minutes. They may need him later in the year and they will need him next year against Arkansas state week Two, Toledo week three. Uh, I think my answer is yes. I, I actually think it sets up pretty well, Nathan, for Kyle McCord to get a decent amount of run against Arkansas state and Toledo in weeks two and three in between Notre Dame and week one and Wisconsin and week four. Well,
1: yeah, I guess I, I mean, I, I was the gist of this question like will they emphasize playing the backup quarterback in a way that they wouldn't normally play the backup quarterback i mean if they're blowing those teams out they'll play the backup quarterback right so that's not that's, well, that's no, no but it's to...
0: it's always a balance i think even in a blowout it's like well do you take the guy out do you take cj Stroud out after one series in the third quarter or do you take him out after one series or two series in the fourth quarter because you're building a heisman case or because you just want sure. him to get some run and Maybe you give him a little more control of the offense. I do think there is that still that constant. I mean, they're not going to play him in games that matter, of course. So it it really only is a blowout question. But there's there's a decision you can make about how much you're emphasizing. They took CJ out right after like was it one series of the third quarter against Michigan State? Like he didn't get much run points in the first half. That's what I mean. But I mean like that that was against a top ten team, and he barely played in the third quarter much less the fourth but if they yeah. wanted to keep him in and say see if you can throw eight touchdowns they could have
1: but well, they there's did. also yeah there's also the, the quarterback depth chart domino effect here too the earlier you bring in Kyle McCord in a blowout as long as the blowout sustains the earlier you can bring in Devin Brown too and it I think you him a you, couple reps
0: you would like to get Devin Brown a series or two in those against Arkansas
1: State and Toledo yeah yeah definitely
0: I think I think the three biggest blowouts of the year will be Arkansas State, Toledo, and Rutgers. So that's that's all pretty early. But yes, and I do think, but but wanting to get Kyle McCord on the field, I, I think that will be a thing. Because now you're in a spot where you know CJ Stroud's not going to be here next year. So you don't want Kyle McCord to be seven of 13 passing this year you'd like to get him a little more run than that I think right I think I think that will be something they absolutely think about
1: yeah I I think you're right and I think especially you know last year they got a little bit boxed in because there wasn't an opportunity to get McCord's feet wet before he had to start against Akron and that's still really his the one real opportunity he's had other than, you know, mop up time. So to get him, I know it's only going to be mop up time, but just to get him more of it um, can only help him. I do.
0: It almost makes me want to like count the series that different backup quarterbacks have played for Ohio state over the years. Everybody remembers like the Tate Martel, like 10 for 10 day. Right. I mean like that's a chance for a guy to get some real run there. So I, I think they'd like to get McCord some actual real run. Let's do an NIL question that I'm okay with asking from the 205. If you had to predict how soon, would you all say that NIL, regu- nil regulation is coming? What's your handle on this? When do you think somebody's going to act and try to lay some groundwork?
1: Well, I know that they want to put strictures on it and and rein in the insanity, but now that you've opened the door to this income, I don't know how you shut it off. I mean, it's going to have to still be. You you can't deny, I think, this income stream now that players have had. The other thing that is very obviously happening, I mean, what has been – the thing that I think – well, I know it. The thing that schools and administrators and the NCA or whoever fear more than players making money all along was players having um, organization – and collective bargaining and things like that, getting that kind of power. The reason I know they feared it more is because they've let them earn money now, but they still don't let them have the other thing. But what has been a, a big step forward as far as the NIL um, opportunities is these players are all working with agents. These players all have those people advising them and working with them on a daily basis. And, and, it's, and beyond just the income opportunities that they're getting, it's helping them in other aspects of their life it's like building that kind of relationship and that trust. And if you come in and, and start to put a bunch of strictures down, you've, the, by, by having this super permissive um, open the floodgates response to not wanting them to be employees, they really push them right into the arms of, I think, the thing that they feared the most, which is having a sort of de facto organization now that if you tried to shut it off would get formalized.
0: So what do you think is going to happen then? You think there's never going to be any regulation of NIL in any form by anybody?
1: What do you you mean by regulation?
0: Either the government or a governing body of the sport saying players can get endorsements. Players can get outside income. But here are some of the things that happen. There are maybe windows when you can agree to things. There are maybe... um, things about when you can start earning money, when you can strike deals. We can't pretend that there's no rules about anything. So, but you are but like, what, what do you think? You just laid out the deal. What do you think will happen? Do you think we'll never have any regulation of NIL?
1: I think the regulation would have to come with some recognition of a, a more formal um, organization or collective bargaining situation because as much as you want to use the, the the example that in the in pro sports there are all these regulations to how player acquisitions and, and transactions happen. They come under that umbrella. They come in that structure. So I don't know how you can now impose but, it on but, college but they players can try. Without it. But you just impose it. I don't think they will. I don't I don't think they would successfully do it. I think you would then see You think what players would strike? Yes. Nathan's I calling for a strike. They? I'm not calling for a strike. I think they would. I think they probably but, but should. But the question just, is, just looking but, at it from. But a don't you
0: think they're going to try it? Don't you think somebody at the top is going to try to regulate it? I and think then, because if they could, if they try to regulate it and the players go along with the regulations, then it's regulated. Because if they try to regulate it, there's no there's no union right now, and I'm not there should be, but there's not. So if you try to regulate something and impose it, and the players don't like it,
1: then they have to do something. But what incentive do the players have to just accept the regulation without getting something back? And I think the thing that they would not, have to get no back. there's no incentive. There's no incentive. You're
0: being told what to do. You can't, this is These are the rules. Yeah, the, the, but that's, they that's have what no, happened for they decades, have to, and that's what got us to this point. But they'd have to do something. You think the players would say, like, we're going to form a union, and if you don't let us form a union, we're going to strike? We're going to not play? No,
1: no, no, no. I'm saying if they start to put regulations in place that start to limit what is happening now as far as income opportunities, then I think that's when the players would say, We're not but, doing that. And
0: they would then sit out because you don't just say it, you have to do something. Yeah, no, why? Yep, yeah, I think they would. But don't you think someone will try to regulate it? Whether the government tries to put some rules in place as pushed by the, the schools in the NCAA or somebody gets together and they can't agree on anything nationally, but they agree on this. You don't think that'll happen? You think this is just it? Everybody's calling it the wild, wild west, right? When you talk to any administrators, any coaches, on or off the record, that's what they say. This is no good. Lane Kiffin called it legalized cheating. They don't like it. So that's it? The people who are in charge right now don't like it. I think they'll try to regulate it. And then we'll see what happens. But I think they'll try in the next. I think they'll try for the next school year to to import some regulation where, of course, players can make money. But maybe while you're being recruited, you can't as much. It applies more to players who are already on teams or something like that, where you're not saying it can't make money and you're not necessarily putting a cap on anything. But maybe there's there's more structure where you have a better handle on what exactly collectives are doing Do collectives have to publicly declare everything or announce how much money they have, or there's some, I don't know, but I I could, I think that will happen. An attempt by the powers that be to do something like that, where you, you can still make the money, but it's going to, we're going to maybe take it out of the recruiting side of things a little bit.
1: That's my prediction. I maybe, I just think, that the problem again the problem that has been introduced here is that when you but
0: you keep saying that but the the problem is i know the players won't like it but that's not the issue what are they going to do about it if the people in charge make regulations
1: but that's what i'm telling you is that now you have these you know the nil management the group that works with a lot of Ohio state players they've got i don't know a few like 40 50 players that are I mean, they 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 all these players have representation now, and I think that they have the the thing that has never been in place is real power for the players to stand up and say we're not going to have something Im- imposed upon us. And I think once you've had this permissive this permissiveness that that the as we've said many times that the, they made a mistake by just opening it up to be that permissive and and not having better strictures in place. I mean, the point that you're making is a fair one. I think the thing that they could do is introduce regulations and introduce more restrictions, but I think they would have to do it under a structure that they don't actually want, which is what gives the players more money. Or gives the players more power. Yeah, but like you're, I saying, think someone will. You're, you're saying you think someone's going to try to do it, but they won't try to do it if there's a very real threat of a labor um, walkout.
0: But you're acting like it's organized enough that that threat would come to be and players would be willing to do it. I think they would push the players to see like walk out, and then we'll do it. But you've got to be willing to walk. You've got to be willing to, and, and and I don't know that 18 and 19 and 20 year olds are willing to do that right now. If they're going to get 85% of the endorsement money they're currently getting, you're going to give up a season. So I don't, and I don't know that like the powers that be like would preemptively say, you know what, why don't you guys form a union and we'll work this out. I'm usually well, like on the other side of this. I'm just saying like how I think it will go down. And this is probably too much. And will talk. The other thing is Greg Sankey, the SEC commissioner was talking to SEC media days last week. Like they kind of want the government to do something. The government's busy, bro.
1: Yeah, I still think that's that's. I don't but know that, why, but that they
0: always say that. That's what we talk to Anthony Gonzalez. Smith has been saying
1: it for months. Smith has they, been saying th- it for months. And but he but thinks they that- said
0: all of that before a war in Ukraine, before the pandemic, before right. controversy around the su- Supreme Court, before the January inflation. six hearings, before inflation, before all of these things. The government is so busy, and this is not a political conversation. There's a lot happening. And like, hey, um, we're college sports and like, we don't really know how to govern ourselves. Could you guys make some laws? It's like, get in line, man. Zelensky has a meeting first. Then you can come in.
1: I want to make another point, though, about something you said before, which is, you know, are the players going to jeopardize their income? I mean – You could make a very real argument that the institutions, the schools, the conferences, the NCAA have a lot more financially at stake in that situation because now the players have another income stream. And maybe it's tied in contractually to whether or not they're playing a season, but maybe it's not. And maybe the guys from Ohio State who just got $550,000 get that money, whether or not Ohio State plays a game this year. I don't know. I haven't seen the contract language. But when you start, once you've given this income stream to these players, I think that they can, it puts them in a more comfortable position to take that stand. Yeah, I disagree with that. I, I, you're acting
0: like because the cat's out of the bag, they're going to try to grab that cat and strangle it and shove it back in the bag. I'm not saying it's going to work, but Look, you're acting like, oh, well, the cat's out of the bag. There's nothing you can do. There's a lot they're going to try to do, I think. And again, it's one of those things. If you're really not limiting what the current college players can do, you're kind of limiting what happens in recruiting. The college players are already in. It's always one of those things like you can limit – that's why like a lot of labor unions, oh, will limit the rookie deals as long as the veterans can make all the money they want to make. And that I think is what people want. They want to try to take NIL out of recruiting a little bit and then have established players be able to make money.
1: By the way, a lot of states are now passing laws allowing high school athletes to have NIL income too. So guess what? Tell, say it's say it's illegal or whatever at the college level, but somebody's going to find an end around to that to get money to guys through NIL. Well, that's what they were doing level. before.
0: All right, we yeah, disagree. It's gonna we're be bo- legal, boring man. people. We're boring people. I think um, people
1: like it when we disagree. Um, all
0: right. These are kind of quickies here. Kurt and the 215. Obviously, you get paid for the extensive and in-depth coverage of the Ohio State Buckeyes. However, in real life, what college team is your team? Is it hard to invest so much into a team that isn't the team you grew up rooting for? As much as I love football in Ohio state, I'm not covering or listening to podcasts for the Nittany lions. Um, Thanks for all you do. I love Buckeye talk. That's Kurt.
1: Do you have a college team, Nathan? That's like your team. So growing up in central Illinois, I grew up an Illinois fan. Um, Not as much as, I mean, my dad was a pretty big Illinois fan and they were just the team there that we followed. I didn't go to Illinois games growing up. I didn't ever go to an Illinois game until I went there to cover one when I was probably like 18, 19. So um, it, it's not one that like stayed with me. My Illinois fandom didn't live. I, I've, so, I've It's the team that I sort of follow tangentially a little bit more than other big 10 schools, uh, but also they stink or have stunk now for a while. Um, the one connection I still had with them a little bit was when I worked in Uh, Lafayette, Indiana, the AD there, Josh Whitman is from Lafayette. So I went over and like did a big feature on him one time. So again, they were just always kind of in the corner of my eye, but I wouldn't call them my team.
0: Yeah, I grew up in Pennsylvania, a Penn State fan. I can remember in uh, 82 when they beat Alabama to win the national championship and they flew back. They used to fly in and out of the Harrisburg airport. And I grew up like half an hour from Harrisburg. So like we went to the airport. When they got off the plane when I was like nine, and I thought that was cool. I can remember them playing a regular season game against Alabama and the Penn State punter punting the ball off the back of the up back and a, the punt going backwards and it being like, What just happened? It's the craziest thing. Go look it up. And like in 1982, it's the craziest thing you ever saw. Someone, somewhere around back there. Um, so I grew up a Penn State fan and uh a lot of my friends went to Penn State, but I don't and I understand this, like I just and then I went. I mean, I went to Northwestern, I went to a Big Ten school, and I certainly rooted for my school when I was in school. Um, But I don't live in the state I grew up in. I don't live in the state I went to college in. And I'm not around them, and I just don't follow them and I don't care. So I guess that's unusual, probably. There are a lot of people who your sports fandom is created when you're young and it follows you your whole life, and that's great. But and if I lived in the same place, maybe it would be different, but I don't go out of my way to try to figure out what's going on with Northwestern football or Penn state football. And like, I honestly don't care. I just, if someone says like, Hey, Northwestern one, and now, now my daughter's going to Northwestern. So I'll care for her because she'll care. Right. But, but that's different. I just, I don't know. It's, it's um you're so invested, Nathan, in like the teams that you cover. It doesn't, it's not that it doesn't leave room for that stuff, but, I spend so much time thinking and researching and watching the teams that I cover. Then from my standpoint, when I'm not doing that, I'm not in a hurry to go dive into some other sports team just for fun. I'm much more likely to go watch a random TV show because I kind of had my sports fill for the day.
1: I'm the same way. And even like I grew up a big baseball fan, St. Louis Cardinals were my team all those years. I don't watch them that much. I follow them sort of from afar, but not that close. And it's, I think you get to a stage in this profession where it just feels weird. Like the idea of like putting on like team apparel and stuff feels a little bit weird. Um, I still have some when I, uh, my buddy, Mike Carmen, who covers Purdue for the journal and Curry, we've had him on the um, pod a couple times, like he would give me his, bears tickets or i'd go to bears games with him and i had like a gale sayers jersey that i would wear i mean i would still do that stuff but it's like to be like a rabid fan after you've been in this profession for a long time it just feels a little unnatural and i'm not saying that having that fandom is unnatural if you're not in this profession i think it would be very natural for you to have that but once you've like once your brain starts working with what you're talking about, where you're invested in the team that's right in front of you, but with an emotional detachment, I, I think that does sort of uh, reduce your fanaticism, certainly, and probably your fandom in general.
0: And as we've covered, listen, when you get to know people, you you want to, to see people that you get to know and you respect and you think are nice and you think work hard. You want to see good things happen to them. And that's not rooting for a team, but that's like, you know what? That's CJ Stroud guy. He's really cool and he busts his butt. And you know what? When he has success, that's a pretty cool thing. Right. So, um, and also, I certainly have just learned to appreciate like great skill and great accomplishment. And sort of a lot of times, I don't necessarily care what jersey you're wearing when you do it. But I'm like, whoa, the first time Saquon Barkley played Ohio State, I didn't think to myself, oh, you know what? I rooted for Penn State when I was growing up. I thought to myself, who is that guy? I have not seen that a lot. His freshman year, he like had a breakout game against Ohio State. You guys remember it. And I was just like, I would like to watch him play more football, right? Just like when Chris Olave has a, you know, goes nuts against Michigan as a freshman, it's like, That guy, look at that body control. I would enjoy watching him play more football. So, but like a lot of it, I think you retain the stuff that happened to you before. So like, I was just double checking him. Kurt Warner, the original Kurt Warner, as I like to call him, the Penn State running back from 1982, who was like a first round NFL draft pick in 1983. He's 61 right now. Like if I came across that Kurt Warner, I'd be like, whoa, it's Kurt Warner. Because like when I was nine, I was like, whoa, it's Kurt Warner. But I don't really root for the Penn State running back now just because I grew up in Pennsylvania. All right, one more other question along these lines. From the 419, how do you feel when fans say we when describing their team?
1: I'm fine with it if you're an alum. I'm a little bit skeeved by it if you're just a dude who likes that team. What if it's just like you like the the Cardinals? Yeah, I I never said we. When I talk about the Cardinals, I would say we. When I, if I were talking about the the UIC Flames, which I never have, <laughs> so I'm fine with it. Yeah, I think it's fine. I don't think you had to have like paid money
0: to a college to say we. I think if a team has your heart, you can we them. I don't like when sports writers we. That's the only thing I don't like. Oh well, no, 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 no. That's... Oh, you'll find a sports writer who will we every now and then. I don't like the sports yeah. writer we, but a fan we. I almost think a fan we is a sign of like like how much you care that they're you're part of them and they're part of you. So I'm okay with, I, we, I'm also cool. I'm also okay with uh,
1: O U I We, I also think that if you want to use that as an alternate to yes, I, I get what you're saying. I do. I do though. Part of mine is just a allowing something special for the people who actually did go to the school. Like I think that it's okay for there to maybe be a way that they can talk about their team that someone else doesn't.
0: I think you're in dangerous territory, especially at a place like Ohio state. There's a lot of people who couldn't afford to go to Ohio state. There's a lot of people who for circumstances couldn't go to Ohio state and might love Ohio state just as much as somebody who has a degree from
1: there. So I think you gotta, I think, I think you gotta be careful. They can love them just as much, but it's still like, I think there is, I think there is a different designation. If you actually went to the school, you were in class with these guys. Uh, at NW Baird,
0: at NW Baird.
1: I'm not saying those people are less in some way. You're just I'm saying, just they, saying can't,
0: they can't say we. If you not pay money. Is,
1: I'm saying we is, is it, it comes off the tongue much better. It hits my ears much better from an alum than from someone who just loved the score. Like I said, like I I grew up an Illinois fan, but I think it's weird if I say we, that's just my personal opinion, which doesn't really matter.
0: No, I know. And people can express their personal opinions at NW Baird on Twitter. No, is there an underscore? No, now you're not going to tell me. You're not going to tell me. It's like, you don't want me giving out the actual Twitter.
1: I actually do respect our listeners enough to know that they could go on Twitter and figure out how to front reach me in five seconds. So
0: I think you should change your Twitter avatar. You are your photo, your photo. It's from your previous job, first of all, mm. which is you don't have anymore. And also you're pudgier in that photo than you are now.
1: Hmm. You're more that handsome. It well, is true. Go look at the picture. How is that? You're boss? like cherubic. I, well, here's the thing. I have been to our office in Cleveland like twice. I don't think I've ever had my picture taken in a prof- professional way for this job. When, my, when our current boss sends in credential things where i need a photo he's still using that same photo from 2015 when i was in indiana or whatever so you're right i I do need a new picture
0: yeah or put a picture of your
1: baby or something i don't know that'd be weird
0: this is my I b- people would be baby. really impressed i'm a baby i
1: cover <laughs> sports i'm a baby <laughs> this three-month-old
0: child wrote this story by himself from the 205 lots of people hate alternate jerseys usually the older crowd Us 40 and below people tend to enjoy the alternate every now and again. I love seeing new concept jerseys and all that stuff. Football drip is top tier. So do you have any ideas on new alternates for the Buckeyes or a favorite alternate combo? So uh, this is the kind of thing that really matters to some people. And I have come a long way in understanding that. My main thing I've always said, Nathan, is in your most important games, I want you to look how you look. So when I watched the Ohio state Michigan game and for so long, that was when they did the alternate jerseys because Nike was like, well, that's the most, that's the highly, the most highly rated game of the year. That's when we want the alternates. And to me, it's like do the alternates in games where nothing else is particularly special about the game. It's just like, well, there's no trophy for Ohio state Michigan. Cause you don't need a trophy. I don't think you need alternate jerseys for Ohio state Michigan either. And like, when you look back in the history of the game and they're doing highlights and all this, and it's like, did they wear all white jerseys, all white uniforms one year? And it's like, no, they just did for that one game. And I just think that's odd. The rest of the time, Penn State for a night game, a random Saturday afternoon against Minnesota, yeah, blow it out. And I do like when they lean into the gray, gray helmet, gray top, gray pants with like the black and red accents. They've done that in the past. I really do like that. I like the alternate jerseys but I especially like it when even in your alternate you sort of are sticking with your primary color scheme I've come around I'm much more open-minded to the all black uniforms than I was at one time I did not like the all white the one time they did it and I don't think they've got back to it I'm not sure they liked it either so but I really like I like the all gray when I think those those gray helmets I think they did black black and red Buckeye leaves. And I thought that looked sharp. So anyway, that's my favorite alternate. I don't have a huge other concept for it, but I would just not want to see it for the Michigan game. What's your alternate Jersey view? I,
1: I've come a long way too. Um, I used to really hate what Oregon did. Most of their uniform chicanery. I still actually hate most of what they did back then. I haven't come that far. I, I like when you play within like what you're saying. Play within your color scheme, but do something fun. I'm actually not that big a fan of, of the gray jerseys. I like it even less when, when some other programs have done it. I'm okay with all black. Um, you it is it is tough to ask sports writers this question sometimes, right? Because like if you're asking a sports writer, like, what's your uniform look like, and would be like, all right, I should be able to see the number on the back of the jersey from space. Nothing else matters, like I should be able to like stand on the deck of a space station and read that number, um, let alone be able to see it from the upper deck as long as I can read the number, you guys can do whatever you want but um you know last year when they were doing the turf and they were submitting or they, they were soliciting design suggestions mm-hmm. from fans, I thought there were some really fun things in there, especially things that incorporated Brutus, so I think you could do a Brutus uh, on the helmet for one game. I know that's probably a sacrilege to some people that you'd be screwing with the helmet almost more than the body of the, 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 the Jersey, but like something with like a a fun Brutus thing or just something along those lines. Like, again, it's, you're playing Toledo or whatever. You're playing Arkansas state, like let your hair down a little bit.
0: I do think that's a really cool idea. And again, the Buckeye leaves are so iconic, but what if they did, like you can buy those t-shirts where if the uniform top and the pants were like the body of Brutus made it look like you were Brutus. And then the helmet was Brutus's head. So like, it just looked like all the players were Brutus
1: that day. I So somebody you- had a helmet, somebody had a field design and we knew they were going to use any of those. Somebody had a field design where it was like Brutus standing at midfield, holding a giant Ohio state flag. So like, yeah, what if that, that was, was just like the, what if that was just like the, the, chest emblem for a game
0: yeah that's really good I, r- I really like that one like a, a new alternate jersey it's like a big old Brutus somewhere and you could I would not be against for one game putting Brutus's head on the side of the helmet or just making the helmet look like a Buckeye mm. that it's like the there's a big old Brutus on your jersey and then your helmet is a nut Gene. Let's know what you think. From the 843, Emeka Egbuka moving from number 12 to number two. Will he have the same impact as Chris Olave, who did the same number swap? So I know, Nathan, you uh, wrote the story for us about some of the new numbers coming out. Um, Was that was there what else caught your eye of the numbers uh, when the Ohio State released
1: its its new roster? First of all, I think a lot switched from 17 to two. So oh, right. slightly different it's right. there. But um, I only really wrote about the freshman, the incoming freshman. There were a couple of interesting ones in there. Um, Kenyatta Jackson taking number 97 as a defensive end is the one that like really jumps out and smacks you in the face. Because we've talked so much about it, whether it's uh, uh, Tyree Smith or, or, or Zach Harrison, how you have to live up to that. Uh, legacy and living up to the expectations of being the next guy who has that kind of ranking coming in. And he's sort of like, Sam, bring it on. Like t- taking that number to me, it's like, you know, the Boses wore this and uh, Hayward wore this, I think same, same number, right. He was, he also 97. I can't remember who, but like there've been a handful of guys that all all like defensive line guys, you know, impact guys. And um, to just sort of just, stare that in the face and say, um, I don't care. Um, I'm up for the challenge. I thought it was, um, I don't know, a, a pretty fun start for his career. We'll see if he keeps it for four years.
0: So in, in terms of Egbuka having a Chris Lave-like impact, no. Like we have to remember what Crystal Lave did, which is burst on the scene in the Michigan game at the end of his freshman year in 2018, and as a sophomore in 2019, he led them in receiving yards and receiving touchdowns. And Egbuka is not going to do that as a sophomore this year. And you know, as a as a sophomore, they're trying to throw the game winning touchdown pass in a playoff semifinal to Chris Olave in his second year in the program. That's why Chris Olave is on our receiver Mount Rushmore because he went from end of freshman year getting on the field and being like, "Whoa, what is with this guy?" to oh, in year 2, he's their best receiver. And like that's special and there was also there was a little bit of a gap there right it wasn't the heartline machine wasn't quite rolling as much but then to come back and have another great year in 2020 and then in 2021 he didn't have the statistical year that everybody thought but he still went in the first round like he was a primary great huge awesome part of their offense for three years and i i don't i don't think that's going to happen for a i think he'll be a good part of their offense this year and a really important part next year. And then he might be gone. So that's like one and a half years versus three. So it's, it's nothing against like Buka. He's on track. As we've said many times yeah. before, let's not forget how truly special Chris Olave's Ohio state career was, Nathan. I mean, like you can't, yeah, that's tough to do. And it's probably not going to happen again. Where a guy for a three year period at receiver as is, is as impactful as he was because there's going to be too many guys here and they're going to leave for the NFL and you're not going to be able to do it for three years.
1: Yeah, sometimes it's, it's right place, right time a little bit. There are circumstances there that nobody could control. It's just when Chris Olave came in and he took the the full advantage of that. And I'm thinking about that a little bit in terms of Jackson Smith and Jig, because I don't know how many times there have been so few seasons, like what he did last year, not just in Ohio State and Big Ten history. I guess there were none, but just like even nationally, how many times has a guy – had a year like that and then still been coming back for yet another year. Like, I just don't think there have been that many situations like that. So um, I agree with what you're saying that with Ibuka, I think he'll, he'll be a, a big part of the offense or a, a, not maybe not even a huge part of the offense. Um, He'll be a part of the offense. He won't be on the sidelines, but it to be like the almost to be basically emerge as the number one guy by the end of his sophomore year, that's not going to happen. All right, quick last break, a
0: couple JT questions, a couple other things when we get back on Buckeye Talk. Be a tech subscriber. We'd love to have you, 614-350-3315. Again, we'll be at Big Ten Media Days next week, texting out a bunch of stuff from the 561. If JT 2 Maloa has a breakout season, is there a reason we don't go to the championship game? Again, from the 561, That like, like mark that down. What else could possibly hold them back? And it's a pretty interesting question, Nathan, because I think you could get yourself to, well, the offense is going to be good. And if they have a dominant edge rusher who makes the rest of the secondary better, and you know that's going to happen, and you know how talented he is, that could be enough. I I, I think it, I'm not saying it is but I understand the idea of the question that he's great. That means they're good to go.
1: Well, a, a more intimidating pass rush or a more productive pass rush seems like almost a prerequisite for them doing that, no matter who, who it comes from. So I think him in particular having that would, would have that impact. The thing that I still worry about, though, wonder about is if they still can't stop the run, in the way that they couldn't last year, I mean, it, it killed them against Oregon it killed them against Michigan. And for some reason, that's still a lot. La- I mean, it could be the thing that costs you a game against Wisconsin. Who's bringing in a guy in Braylon Allen, who people are crazy about it, I guess conceivably could cost you against Iowa, which is a team that all, I guess, traditionally runs the ball well, has uh, just as a, as, a,
0: as a quick heads up, I've officially come around on the idea that I think Iowa's going to suck this year.
1: Anyway, yeah. I'm, I, we're going to talk about that more on Monday. I'm going to, I'm not, there's some Hawkeye fans that are not going to like me. (laughs) I think when they see my votes, not, not again, I'm just one guy. And then like Michigan with, with, with Corum, I mean, they've got, Michigan can run the ball too. So I just think if Ohio state is still really vulnerable to the run, I still think um, that could be the thing that capsizes them regardless of what they're getting off the edge from, from JTT. They've got to be, it can't be a liability the way it was last year.
0: You just also just ruined a point that I'm going to make in 10 seconds, but. The primary point that you made there is, I think, the right answer. That is it. That's still the thing because we just won't try to throw it. We'll just try to run on you. And if they can't stop the run, and we've seen what that looks like. That's a good answer. I can't, I can't believe you just said the one thing, though. From the 8 to 8 Old habits die hard. I love how Steven finally brought up that there's no second T in JT and how it's just Jalen. And then Doug barreled right through it like it was never even said, which is pretty consistent with Doug. And so my answer to this was going to be, we established in October that it's not JTT. He explained that in an October press conference when Stephen brought it up on a podcast last week, it was old news. It is not news to anybody that it's not JTT. And I was going to say, we haven't said JTT on this podcast since October. And then Nathan said JTT 45 seconds ago. We know it's not JTT. We don't call him that. I don't call him that anymore. I call him JT Tumaloa, or I call him JT, because it's Jalen Tumaloa. We know that, right? We all know that now. I guess it was a slip of the tongue by you, but we know not to call him JTT, right? Nathan, don't we know that? Yeah, it was a cover. I,
1: so. I also just don't understand why it's a catastrophe. His name's, he goes by JT Tumaloa, so if you call him JTT, I don't see that oh, no. as some kind of a travesty. I do not believe you're doing this.
0: Because that's not what he's that's not what he said. He had a whole press conference where he said it doesn't make any sense to call me JT JTT because you're doubling the T's, because it's just a JT. And then Stephen Then his, his name should just be JT. It shouldn't be JT to MLO. Like you're undercutting my argument in such a strong way. Now I feel like we should have stopped it because I didn't stop and have a five minute conversation about it when Nate when Stephen brought up because I was like, we know this is not news. We don't call him this. And a player should be called whatever he wants to be called. That's the answer. I will call JT to him out, Jalen to him alone, JT. I will call him whatever he wants to be called. He says JTT is like not the deal. That's not who he is. So that's enough for me. But Steven said, Steven didn't say, I talked to him and he said, call me Jalen. Steven said, I'm just going to start calling him Jalen. Well, right. Yeah. And like, I don't care what Steven decides to do because Steven on this podcast has said, he's always right. He doesn't care what anybody else thinks. He thinks he's right no matter what. So I'm gonna do what JT Tuumaloa wants us to do. So I will ask him the first opportunity I get, when we talk about you, what should we call you? And I will do whatever he says. But I think like he's established, it's not JTT, but Steven declaring something that's fine. Steven can call him whatever he wants to call him, but I don't – to my knowledge, the player has not declared that. So that's why I didn't stop and have a nine-minute conversation about it on the pod when it came up. But
1: here's my point. No one formally calls him that. And here's why it's important because people say JSN. People say Jackson for the They just say JSN. No one formally calls him that. And he has never said, call me JSN. It's just a thing people say as a shorthand in the moment.
0: But JSN stands for Jackson Smith and Jigba. JTT yeah. is Jalen Tuomaloao sh-
1: Tuomaloao. Okay, th- but then, that, then calling him JT Tuomaloao also doesn't make sense. That's my point.
0: I can't believe it. You've ruined this discussion. If, that's, if he's okay with being called that, Because if you just say JT, what it sounds like, we're not doing it. (laughs) The the idea that you think like, I'm just going to call him JTT. I don't care. Like, I actually think that's wrong. Because like he said, don't call me that. So like, I think you should respect what people want to be called. But we've got now we've got to go back and figure it out. I mean, again, I I have not talked to him that much. Somebody should have said, what should we call you? Like, that's not beat around the bush. I rewatched the news conference from October and he was explaining, but then nobody said, what should we call you to your face? And when we write it and talk about you, what should we call you? I didn't hear anybody ask yeah, that question.
1: But that's a different thing than what we're talking about right now. I and mean, we've talked about it too long. Okay, that was
0: awful. People turned off the podcast during that. This is interesting statistically to the point where I think we maybe could save it, but we won't. From the three, two, one. Does the do the predictions of an improved defense cause anyone to see that individual offensive stats will be held down? Would Jackson Smith and Jigba and C.J. Stroud have had the same stat line against Utah if the Ohio State defense had held Utah to 30? It seems like we disregard the effect of good defense on offensive stats. I think it is a point very well taken. Dwayne Haskins setting every record in the book in 2018 was certainly helped by playing with a horrible defense. They had to score 52 against Maryland because the defense gave up 51. Like that happened. He was not taken out of blowouts because the defense couldn't put teams away. I, I, it is an interesting statistical point, Nathan, that when I want to talk about Jackson Smith and Jigba having a 2,000 yard receiving season, it's possible that Ohio State's defense will be too good for that to happen. Now, part of it is also if your defense is great, the offense keeps getting the ball back, keeps getting the ball back, but then it's how long do they let you stay in and blowouts and that kind of thing. So there could be a counter to this, but I think in general, 2018 is a great example of Dwayne was a great player and did things nobody had ever done before, and some 15% of that was because he had to because the defense stuck.
1: I'd love to see like a statistical analysis of that, yeah. you know, and it, it's more than we can do in the moment, because I think as I was looking at the question, I thought of that same balance. But Like it's like in 2019, you would think that the fact that that Justin Fields didn't have to play deep into games was hurting him statistically. But J.K. Dobbins still ran for 2000 yards like it's so there's the production was still there. And it makes me think that there will still be a hefty amount of production with this offense as well.
0: All right. Let's get down to the last two that you really liked. Nathan It's kind of these prop bits from the four one nine. I believe there were 12 catches by tight ends in the spring game. How many games do you think it will take for a tight end to match that number in the regular season and who will it be? So they're saying 12 catches overall by tight ends, but then asking, for an individual tight end to get to 12 catches, right? Is that how you're interpreting this, Nathan? Yes. All right. What do you think? When will it happen? When will one of the tight ends get the 12 catches?
1: I think it's going to be about the 10th game of the year. And I'll say G Scott.
0: Oh, interesting. I say never. I don't think any tight end on this team will have 12 catches this year. Yeah, you may be right. Excellent. We we should, we should have people come up with, will it be more like this or like, I, as you said, it's why you like these two questions so much because they're so creative with the way they make you think about things. We'll wrap it up with this in the 704 in the next three seasons, would you bet that Ohio state has more national championships or more losses to Michigan? Where are you placing that bet, Nathan? If it's even odds, if it's, the same both are zero both are one then it's a push but you've got a five dollar bared bill in your hand and you're putting it down one way or the other
1: it's so much harder for ohio state to win a national championship than it is for michigan to beat ohio state no matter what ohio state fans might think even before what happened last year happened that was still a true statement so i guess i would pick if i had to pick one of those things i would say losses to michigan
0: if you had to bet on one, you would bet more losses. I would also bet that. And it's just a nod to Nick Saban. It's right. a nod right. to Kirby Smart. It's a nod to Lincoln Riley and Dabo Sweeney and whatever Jimbo Fisher might be doing. And it's also a nod to that it, you're no longer, I at least am no longer in a place where I'm like, well, I, obviously Ohio State's going to beat Michigan the next three years so i think i honestly think nathan a year or two ago you we might have taken the national championships because you would have said i i really think michigan losses will be zero so can they win one national championship in the next three years yeah i think they can but i I just think it's going to be zero but i don't know that i think it's zero for michigan in the next three years. I think it's probably one, especially potentially in a year where, I mean, by the time thing, it's the end of the year, by the time Kyle McCord in his first year as a starter, he's going to have played 11 games. So it's not like he's going to be a newbie against Michigan in 2023, but if they have JJ McCarthy back and he got a little more run this year and Michigan, you know, like I, right. If you're thinking Ohio state might take a little bit of a step back after losing a bunch of guys. I just, I just think it's one and I think they really could win one national title in the next three years. So my guess would be what actually happens is both are one Nathan, and then it's a push, but if I'm trying to think which is more likely to be two, I guess I'll slightly go Michigan losses. than I will do. I think in the era of Nick Saban with Kirby smart and Dabo and Lincoln Riley and everybody else, do I think Ohio State can win two of the next three national titles? Man, that would be quite a thing. It's not a possible, but I think, I'd re- I think I'm more likely to imagine one game where Michigan like, legitimately beats them and then one game where like, something goofy happens, somebody gets abducted by aliens in the middle of the game, it's a hailstorm, whatever, and Michigan wins. So I'll, I'll say Michigan also.
1: I mean, in your scenario, it almost be they win a national championship and lose to Michigan the other two years. Yeah. We're talking about just a three-year period but right. I, to me it's more it'd be more likely to be i would think it'd be more likely to be zero championships and one loss than one championship and two losses
0: that also is very true although again if ohio state does not win a national championship in 22 23 or 24 i don't know if disappointed is the right word but i think people would be a little bit like oh man i can't believe but as you were saying the before,
1: there, there's some of it that is out of control because you, you you look at the accumulation of talent that Ohio State has and you think, boy, they are really building something like it. that looks like. I mean, they always think they can win a national championship, but that looks like a national championship team. But what is the blue chip ratio showing us that more and more and more there are a small subset of teams that are kind of pulling off? And you know, Alabama always has an 80 percent blue chip ratio. Georgia always has an 80 percent blue chip ratio. And so does Ohio State. But. That, that, that super team thing just always kind of seems to be out there, and you can't just – I don't know that Ohio State's ever going to have any accumulation of talent that just blows the doors off of everybody else because Alabama is so good at what it does. Georgia is so good at what it does. There's other teams out there that are kind of in the ballpark, what Texas A&M is doing. like it, I don't know that they're ever going to have just this overwhelming talent edge at a national level.
0: But offensively, they might. Because, again, Alabama's getting by this year. They have the Heisman winner, a quarterback, but they're playing a bunch of transfers at running back and receiver. Georgia's playing Stetson Bennett. They lost their best receiver to Alabama. Ohio State, I think, consistently very well may have the obvious best offensive talent among the top-tier teams. And then the question is, is their defense going to get back to a point where it's good enough to allow that offense to carry the day, which – was not the case the last two
1: seasons. I mean, they had the highest scoring and most prolific offense in the country last year and didn't make the playoff, so.
0: No, but but like, do you think that's going to continue? Like they hired a $2 million defensive coordinator and we saw a blip in recruiting that sort of led to that thing last year. Like you're going off that. When you think about, do I think Ohio State is going to win a national championship in the next three years?
1: Are you thinking about the 2021 defense? Uh, Not the 2021 defense, I guess. I, I see what you're saying. It's tricky because you're, you're, you've you got Stroud right now. You've got a known quantity right now as your quarterback. As much talent as they will still have next year, when they don't have Stroud, they don't have Smith and Jigba. And now you're expecting that offense to stay at that level. So now maybe the defense is coming up, but does your offense not at that level anymore? Is your offense not so much clearly the best offense in the country? Well, I don't know. It's like there's a balance that you're trying to strike, and it's, it's, it's a tough needle to thread.
0: But still, I mean, their offense in 2023 is going to be a five-star quarterback, a five-star running back, a five-star receiver, and Marvin Harrison Jr. at the other receiver. So, again, I don't know, but Kyle McCord's going to be a fourth-year five-star starting for the first time. I I don't know. I, I don't um, – I think – I think,
1: I think what ahead. we saw last year, though, I think what we saw last year was that you, you can't have a defense that – that puts the offenses back against the wall late in games. And no matter how good think the offense, that's going to happen.
0: Right. But do you think that's going to still happen? If that still happens, they fail. Like they, right. they, adju- they changed, they did everything they could. To change I, I, they change that. They hired think- a $2 million offensive coordinator. If they it's still are having those defensive issues from 2021, that's a huge problem.
1: Here's the thing I should have maybe, I guess, set up front. I think the thing that makes 2023, the reason Ohio state fans, should be most optimistic about 2023. Is there's every reason to believe that won't happen because now you're talking about third year to him and third year Sawyer, whatever you know, um, another year of Tyreek Williams, yep. a year older, Jordan like, Hancock, you know. yeah, Jordan like the, the cornerbacks, what the um, 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 Hicks probably coming into his own yep. as a second year, maybe Sonny Styles is coming along, like yep. you know, yep. you're starting to see the five star talent on defense probably rising up next year uh, for 2023 for sure it almost be hitting a peak that has been building for a couple years 2021 being the low point and then the big question mark for 2022 being how close can they get to that peak and does it cost them anything along the way
0: yeah which is the kind of thing that i don't know we'll be discussing every day for the next four months (laughs) so we have like 85 more discussions on that exact topic to come for now, we'll wrap it up on rapid fire. When you hear us again on Monday, we will be unveiling the Cleveland.com preseason Big Ten poll, as well as the votes for Offensive Player of the Year, Defensive Player of the Year. Anything else, Nathan? Or is it just those? Who's going to, like, every, all the division standings, who's going to win the title, Offensive Player, Defensive Player? Correct, yeah. Okay. And uh, I didn't vote yet. I got to vote.
1: And Steve, you is- are basically the one holdout of people that I'm I know, from- the people who should have voted by now. It's basically you. But I did tell you that even did vote. Stephen uh, got a vote
0: last, in. The last two days, I've spent four combined hours trying to migrate
1: yeah, things from my, to
0: come. with my 10 year old laptop that we figured out I got in 2012, we're, la- we're migrating it to a new laptop and it is sucking out. I put all my files are going into OneDrive and my soul has gone into OneDrive. And so, um,
1: and that sounds to me like four hours where you could have sent me an email. I
0: actually was going through it. Well, as you, I have my chart of every big 10 team win loss Mm -hmm. and I'm not done with it. And like, I can't, I can't come up with my standings until I'm done with that. Um, so I do have to do that. I'm also the Browns podcast host is off this week. So I'm hosting all the Browns pods, which is, uh, an extra thing in my day, but and I had COVID, guys. I also had COVID last week. I've recovered. Um, good medicine, good good shots. So I'm good to go. But that that knocked me, that knocked me. Uh, you know, I wasn't my quite my jovial self for two or three days there when I was dragging a little bit. Um, so that so I, are you accepting these excuses? or Are you mostly just mad that I didn't vote yet?
1: I'm not mad that you didn't vote yet. As the I'll creator, be mad if yeah. you haven't voted when I'm getting ready to write these things tomorrow-ish? I'll vote tonight. As the creator of the poll,
0: I should have voted by now, but I also will say I have been the president of the Football Writers Association of America, and every year they have to yell at me to join the organization because I keep forgetting to join the organization (laughs) of which I once was president. I'm not so sure. I'm not even 100% sure that I was in the organization the year I was president because I might have forgotten to join that year. So it's par for the course. As someone said, barreling right through, typical Doug. What are you going to do? We'll see you guys on Monday. I'm excited to see the results of this poll. Try the text at 614-350-3315 and read cleveland.com slash OSU. For Nathan Baird, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk.